it. We've made it to Friday, everyone. We've made it to Friday on our brand new platform here at Amsterdam Lab. Everything is still working. Just. The weather is beautiful outside. I had a really, really nice bike though bike journey on the way to the studio this evening. So nice. The only thing that I didn't like was uh, there was this, this girl on her bicycle. And I hate these people because they, they, they ride really slow on their bicycle and then they, they can see that you want to go past them. So you start to speed up and then they start to speed up and then you think, okay, fine. So you go back behind them and then they slow down and you go past them and then they start to speed up. It's almost like they don't want you to go past them. It's, it's ridiculous. But luckily she turned the other way and I hope she crashed her bicycle because she was annoying me. Good evening. Welcome. We've made it to Friday. We've got a very, very interesting show coming up this evening. We're going to be talking with... Betty Marie, who is the international spokesperson for the group Move One Million. And I am so looking forward to chatting to her. There is a lot that we're going to be chatting about. There's a lot that's happening in South Africa that needs to get uh, answers for. There's a lot happening today. I mean, it's, it's almost like there's a civil war going on in the country. It's It's crazy. So we're going to be chatting to her to find out what exactly is is happening in South Africa, what is happening with the um, with the group Move One Million, and what their expectations are, and why they got created. I mean, it's all fair and well that you protest because that's just the norm now. You know, you you don't like something, so you protest, and that's how things work in a democracy. But things work slightly different in South Africa. If you want things to be done, protesting really isn't the way to do it. So we're going to be chatting to her to find out exactly what it is and what their mission is. And that's going to be coming up later on in the show. I uh, I, I remembered something uh, today that at the time I didn't actually find it funny. And I it was when I was still... I was, I was studying in Cardiff in Wales and I had this chat with, with David, our, our guest, the other day. And Wales has a very big rugby tradition, probably more so than any other country, more so than New Zealand, I would say. That's how passionate these guys are about rugby. Anyway, I was at university and I was doing some, some work on the side for this radio station. And this radio station happened to be in the sticks it was uh, the only way you could get to it was either by driving or public transports. You couldn't walk there, so I had had to take uh, I had to take the bus. And uh, anyway, I I this this was before uh, people had access to uh, Google Maps on their phone. I think it was two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven. So you know, using Google Maps on your phone was still a pretty new thing. So I, I had a look on my, on my computer before I left where exactly this place was, this radio station. 
And uh, it said, it, it told me what bus I need to take and how many stops. And I wasn't exactly sure how many stops it was because sometimes Google exaggerates. So anyway, I, I get on the bus and usually, supposedly the bus drivers are supposed to know where the bus is going. You would hope they do. So I get on the bus and I say, look, I need to go to this place. I didn't tell them I was going to a radio station. I said, look, I need, I need to go to this place. I have an idea of where it is, but I'm not exactly sure. So I told the bus driver the address and he had no clue where, where that was. So he then asked me, so where is it? And this this radio station, they were located inside the, the YMCA, which isn't what you think it is. The YMCA in, in the UK is more like a um, a place where you go when you're homeless. It's not like the village people. So it's not like, hey, the YMCA, and then you see the village people walking down. It wasn't like that. Thank God. But I felt like I felt like that because I asked the I asked the bus driver and he had no idea. So he said, "Where is it?" So I said, "Okay, it's here. It's in. It's located inside the YMCA." So he said, "I haven't got an idea where this place is." And he he went on the intercom on the bus and said, "Does anybody know where the YMCA is?" This gentleman wants to know where the YMCA is. I wanted to die. Anyway, I landed up finding the the the, the radio station. Much to my uh, much to my devastation, that everyone knew that I was going to the YMCA, but not for the reasons they thought I was going for. Anyway, it. it the reason I thought about it today was because at the time I didn't think it was funny. And then I, I started laughing hysterically at my job and people thought I had just lost the plot. And some people do actually think I have lost the plot because, you know, sometimes you do you do laugh hysterically at stuff that you you think about that was you think about it and then you know, if it wasn't funny five years ago, but now you think about it and it was it's actually hilarious and I just couldn't stop laughing. And of course, I couldn't tell people this joke because people would have, you know, they would have thought something was really strange that I was, you know, I was going to the YMCA. So, you know, of course, there's that awkward moment where people say, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Nothing. It's just something that happened. Something happened last week and I only just remembered now that it was... It was funny. <laughs> so that's a, that's a very awkward moment when you when you have that situation. Anyway, hey, uh, listen to this. Let me move on from me talking about my uh, YMCA experience. Do you know that uh, the organizers of the Chainsmokers they had a show in in uh, New York. I think it was last month or the month before. Anyway, they had a gathering and now they've been fined uh, $20,000 for breaking uh, the corona uh, guidance in New York. Very, uh, It's very interesting. Um, it, drew a, it, it drew widespread uh, uh, condemnation from, uh, from the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, who described the event as an illegal and reckless uh, 
uh, endangerment of endangerment of uh, public health. And this happened in July, by the way. Yeah, July. And they got fined twenty. They've just been they've just been fined the organizers twenty thousand dollars. Crazy, huh? Twenty thousand dollars. Who's got that money? They've got that money because obviously people went to that concert and they weren't wearing any face masks. I wonder what I wonder what went through their minds, the the, the chain smokers' minds, because you know, you, you know that you're breaking the you know that you're breaking the law and you still go ahead and host this concert. Very interesting. Uh, the concert took place in uh, the Hamptons, which is a very up Upper upper class area of uh, of New York. It's kind of like um, what's that area in Amsterdam called? Ah, uh, that that very upmarket area. What's it called? I'm trying to think what it's called. Hmm. I can't think about it, but it's a very upmarket uh, area that it's in 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 Amsterdam, and that's pretty much. If I had to compare the Hamptons in New York, that's what it's compared to. I don't know. I don't know if I would go to a concert, even if I, I mean, I like the Chainsmokers, but I don't know if I would go to that concert during a pandemic. You know, the worst thing, you know what I'll hate about going to concerts is you'll go to a concert, the set just, for example, the Chainsmokers, and you're so excited and you pay however much it is that you pay for a ticket. And you land up going there and they, they sing one song that you know and then, and then for the rest of the concert, they are playing songs from their new album. It's like, I didn't pay. I did not pay all my money to go listen to one song and then stand there awkwardly. That's one of the reasons why I don't actually like going to music concerts. It's because of that. And the thing is, artists know this. That's why they catch on to this. And you can't, it's not like you can get your money back. No, you can't get your money back. The artists know this. They, they know the game plan. So this is why I prefer, and especially now, you can stream events now online. Obviously, you have to pay, but if, if you know your way around, if you know some people who know how to hack onto these places, you, you can then stream it for free. And if you don't like it, you can just turn your, your laptop off and you can say, well, thank God I didn't pay for that. So there you go. Uh, I got a bit of feedback uh, yesterday from the uh, Femke Louise uh saga and uh quite a few people actually agree with me she, she is a toilet so there we go we all know that i think everyone knows she's a bottomless pit of just talent talentless bottom of bottom of pit that's what she is that's what our receptionist here calls her a toilet and a bottomless talentless pit of just nothing we are trying to get her on the show by the way i'll natasha the producer's trying to get her on the show she keeps uh, dropping the call natasha and her uh, her emails just she seemed to read the emails, but we don't. She doesn't seem to get a reply back. So we are trying to get her back on the show, and I will be asking her what exactly happened in that on that day in that picture because it does look like it's the pre-sex picture because she's doing some kind of a pose, and Doctor Gomez looks like he just he just looks like something's going to happen in that picture, which is why he said the meeting went very well, or surprisingly good. I think he said. Anyway, how much money do you think you need each year to be happy? 
Hmm? How much money do you think you need every year? How much money do you think you need to earn every single year to be happy? Well, a, uh, a study has said that uh, you need at least 33,000 pounds or more per year to be happy. Does that sound like a lot of money? I think that sounds like a lot of money. 33,000 pounds a year is what uh, researchers at uh, Raisin UK discovered. There was also that, uh, there, there was that city in, in uh, Geneva, in Switzerland, that said they, they're going to pay you, what was it, 5,000 euros or up to 5,000 euros per month. So I won't be surprised if a lot of people go to Zurich. But yet uh, to to Geneva, not sorry, to Geneva. But yet again, the Swiss are paranoid about immigration, which is why they had this uh, this uh, referendum not too long ago about this very thing. So it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, what happens there, because obviously that's a uh, that's just giving us giving them a, a silver platter. There you go. You can come to Geneva, and you can earn up to five thousand euros per month. How nice is that? So there you go. If you want to be happy every year, you need to earn up to £33,000, according to uh, Raisin UK, which uh, discovered an annual salary. That's how much you need to earn. And who says money can't buy you happiness, huh? Apparently, it can buy you happiness with £33,000 a year. I'd be happy with that. I think what I would do, if I if I... We, we were actually having this, this chat with me and my colleagues, my, my housemates. We were having this chat actually last weekend, actually. And we were just, you know, saying, what would we do if we earned our first million? So I stay with a, I stay with a, a musician. And I spoke about her on the show last night. And uh, we, were around, we were sitting around the table. And I said, okay, Joe, tell me, what will you do when you earn your first million? And she said, "You know the t- the normal thing. Oh, I'd buy, I'd I'd you know I'd buy a house for my parents, and uh, I'd buy a new, I'd buy myself a house, and I'd, then I'll just go travel the world. You know, normal stuff that should probably be, probably what most people will do when they have when they get their first million, depending on it, depending on how they get it, whether it, they are a musician, whether you are the top uh, broker in your company, or whatever." Drug dealer. I'm not saying you must be a drug dealer, but you know. And then uh, it came to my turn. And I said, you know what? The first thing I would do with my first million is probably fix my teeth up because I've got these horrendous British teeth. And I, it's one of the reasons why I don't like smiling in pictures is because I've got these these teeth like, and I'm, 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 Convinced I have some sort of relation with the royal family because if you look at the royal family's teeth, they've got these really crooked, horrible teeth. And this is, this is the reason why, and it was actually, this was, it was one of the reasons why I got uh, suspended on, on radio was because I spoke about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's child and I said, you know, that child is going to have the perfect perfect everything, perfect skin complexion, perfect teeth. And uh, I got suspended for that. But think about it. You've got Prince Harry, who's got these horrible, royal, crooked British teeth. 
You've got Meghan Markle, who's got the superb skin complexion. You've got Prince Harry's frail skin complexion. If he goes in the sun for more than five minutes, you'll probably pass out. It'll be very interesting to, to see how what color hair the baby will have because Prince Harry has red hair and uh, Meghan Markle has black hair. So it'll be very interesting to know what color hair the baby will have. But yeah, that's, that's, that's something I would do if I earn my first uh, million. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go crazy with my money because I'm not that kind of person anyway. In fact, if I did get my first million, obviously I'd get my teeth fixed. But um, I'd probably invest my money and maybe go on a holiday. But yet again, I don't really like spending money. It's an interesting thing. It... it it got me thinking because, you know, what would you do for a million, a million dollars or a million euros or a million pounds? What would you do for your first million? Be very interesting uh, to to know what uh, you would do. Um, my uh, my, I'm getting a lot of feedback from from the past uh, shows that we've been that we've been doing here at Amsterdam Lab. A lot of people have been listening to the podcast. And uh, a lot of people have been saying that I just sound so uh, so relaxed. And the truth is it is. I am I am so relaxed. I am as relaxed as when you get your first million. That's how relaxed I am. I don't have to I don't have to 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 uh, to worry about if I if 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 I am gonna offend anyone or if uh, I'm gonna get a text message from management to say, Wade, you need to come to the you need to come for a meeting the next day or anything like that. I just feel so relaxed, and it's great because I think when you are relaxed as a person, you tend to you tend to do a lot more better with your with your mind and. I feel so relaxed. I just feel like I don't have to care about stuff that I'm not interested in, which was the, always the case when I was on the radio. I had to care that I was interested in stuff that people who knew me in person that would listen to me would say, Wade, why why are you lying to people? I am so happy. I'm very happy. And... One of the reasons is, uh, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm inspired by a lot of people. Uh, I, one, one of the reasons why I, I started this, this, uh, this, this company was because I grew up listening to someone called Gareth Cliff, who is on the radio, and he's got his own podcasting company. You can say we're doing something similar, but not the same. And of course, obviously, Gareth Cliff is uh, inspired by Howard Stern. So there's a bit of a connection there. And I think the reason why I, I, I'm attracted to that kind of style is because listening in the car on my way to school, that's all I wanted to be. I didn't want to be that person who says, well, the time is now. Coming up next, we have three songs, and then I might give you a weather update. Because that's boring. Whenever I did listen to Gareth on the radio, it was always inspiring. I always learned something when I listened to Gareth. And that 
was one of the reasons why I wanted to go into radio was because listening to him and I thought, well, if he can do something like that and be able to, to, to bring in an audience and get people engaged, sometimes it's controversial. It just depends on the story it is. But he can, he can, he can bring in an audience. doesn't matter what it is he's talking about. And I thought, you know, that's what I wanted. That's the kind of personality I wanted to be. And it was always, it was always very difficult for me in the beginning when I started working on radio. Was because, you know, you would send your demo out to to radio stations, and of course, radio stations when you send your demo out, they just want to hear a typical DJ. They want to hear they want to hear you announcing a song. They want to give you they want to hear you giving a time check and maybe a weather update. So it was always very difficult for me to to be my to be myself, and I, thankfully, and in, you know, thankfully, Insanity Radio, which is the radio station I used to work for before I started things here at Amsterdam Lab. Thank, thankfully, on Insanity Radio, I was allowed to. Okay, you know, I do always complain about management, always being on my case, but. Most of the time, they sort of let me do let me do what I wanted to do, which was very nice. I it's one of the things that um, I'm actually really grateful for. Although that did used to piss me off a lot, you know, I was always trying to build something, trying to build a connection with my audience, and then I would have to go in because oh, Miss Miss uh, Miss So and So got annoyed. Anyway, okay, let's get things started on the show. Let's play a song, and uh, we'll get things started. And uh, when we come back, we'll be uh, we'll be getting the thing. We'll be getting everything ready. By the way, uh, we're going to be streaming live um, across two platforms, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, guys? You can talk into the mic. Skype at the moment. Okay. But we are going to be recording on multiple platforms. So people, we're going to be global. And it will be uh, made available online. There you go. See, this is, uh, this, this is Marius, by the way. He is our tech guy here at uh, Amsterdam Lab. He, he basically, he's the heart of the company. He makes sure this place is working. Everything is running functionally. He's making sure that the connection on the computer is running uh, perfectly. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to do this. Right now, I've got a camera beaming at me. Very scary. So, yeah, if it wasn't for Marius, this really wouldn't uh, exist. Okay, let's play a song. And when we come back, um, we're going to be getting ready for our interview with uh, the international spokesperson for the group Move One Million. Betty. Betty Marie.
Amsterdam Lab with uh, Post Malone and uh, Circles. Cool song. Uh, we, uh, we're joined in the studio uh, this evening. Uh, it's actually Marius's daughter, Shantae. Hey, Shantae. Hey. Now, you were telling me that um, you went for your driving test. It's a yeah. computer test, right? It's a computer test. So it's my learners, mm-hmm. obviously, what you have to do before you can do your practical driving test. And it was, uh, yeah, it was... Um, a bit stressful, but I thought, you know, I had it all handled and everything. And then... Did you study for it? Yeah, I studied for it. I actually studied really hard for it. And then at the last section, I had four questions wrong and you're only supposed to have three wrong. So I missed it with literally one point. So it's a bit disappointing, but yeah, it is what it is. And hopefully the second time I will uh, pass it and then we can go from there, you know? And I heard it's a lot of money in the uh, in the Netherlands to get your driving license. It is very expensive. And then you have to add up like the theory exams you have to write, the books you have to get, the practice test you have to do, because the practice test you also have to pay money for. It's not for free. So it's like if you add everything up, it's actually a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. So what else is happening in your in your in your life? Because you were How's things with, with university? Are you still going to university or college? How are things? I am so far. I am going once a week, but we will see what happens from next week onwards. But most of my classes are still online and it's okay. It's just, I thought when COVID hit us, I was like, yeah, I can study from home. Going to be nice. But now six months later, I'm like, I need a proper routine because I'm at home all day and I can't get my stuff done like I'm supposed to. I, it's not like I can go to a cafe mm. or work. So everything happens at home and sometimes I just move around the house because I cannot sit in my room all day because I would just get so tired of the same space. Yeah, that would drive me crazy. Yeah, it really does. But so far I'm trying to make it work and we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah. And uh, what what is it that you are studying? Um, I study business innovation. So Very nice. I don't write any test. Everything we do is practical. Mm-hmm. So a lot of assignments but i love it because it's very broad it's not only focused on like business management we look at business management as well and culture in the business and like how business that businesses can innovate their processes or their products so it's like literally everything you can think of of innovation business and we do a lot of entrepreneurship as well so how to like maybe start up your own thing or consultancy or yeah, so it's just very broad. Like, there's no specific way you can go. There's so many ways. You do sound very knowledgeable on this stuff. Listening to you, I feel like I want to open my own bank account. <laughs> I hope I'm knowledgeable. I'm in my third year. I should be by now. <laughs> Your dad's looking at you thinking, okay, well, this is a lot of money I'm paying. I hope you... Yeah, I hope you are... Uh, <laughs> better be knowledgeable. Better be doing what you're supposed to do. What do you think? What do you think about what we're doing here at Amsterdam Lab? I love the idea because 
Okay, I listen to a lot of Be podcasts. honest, don't worry. Do you not, you know, I am honest. Yeah, no. I mean, look at my shirt. Yeah, it says enough. <laughs> yeah. Um I like the idea because a lot of podcasts that I listen to is only focused on one topic, so on one niche. But I, what what I like about Amsterdam Lab is you guys talk about anything. Like it's not only focused on let's for example say conspiracy theories. Like it can be conspiracy theories to what's happening in the world, to the economy, you know, to anything you can think of. And I like that you are very open about the topics you talk about. Like you literally said, it's uncensored, unfiltered, uncut, and it is what it is. And if you don't like what we talk about, then I guess you have to find something else to listen to because it's a very open platform. Yeah, you can just F off. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I think is very unique about Amsterdam Lab as well. That's good. Um, I'm glad that you like what we're doing. I mean, obviously, e each day is a, is a learning is a learning curve for us, and uh, we we're, we're growing like a like a newborn baby. Literally at this moment. I yeah. mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 crazy. Okay, uh, let's bring on. Um, thank you, by the way, Shantae. <laughs> I'll see you on a Monday. <laughs> yes, you will, because we actually we're going to be chatting. Yeah, we are. Yes, this was just a sneak peek. A sneak peek. Uh, we let's bring on uh, let's bring on um, Betty Marie. She is the um, European international spokesperson for uh, the group Move One Million, and it's a it's a group that's taken my attention and everyone's attention. If you're whether you're South African or whether you just take an interest in South African culture and society in general. And I'm I'm very pleased to have it on the on the phone this evening. Hello, Betty Marie. How are you? Hi, Wade. I'm good, and you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. How are things? in? because you're phoning you're phoning us from uh, Dublin, correct? Well, just south of Dublin, from the sunny southeast of Ireland, from Wexford, Strawberry Country. Strawberry Country. Okay. Yes. And yes. Uh, how are things in uh, with the Corona over there? Are they uh, are they a lot better than uh, than Amsterdam? No, no, I'm afraid. I think it's it's genuinely a global problem where um, our government is talking about complete lockdowns again. So I'm afraid it's not going away anytime soon. And it's like everything. Part of it is is uh, other people's responsibility, but some of it is our own, really, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, I want to ask you something uh, before we get into... Um you know the reason you, that you're that you're on the phone uh, this evening. What do you think about what is happening um, in South Africa at the moment with this uh, with this cynical uh, debacle? It is crazy. Oh, how long? How long have we got? Three, four hours? You have enough. You have five <laughs> hours. I'm giving you five hours tonight. Okay. Um, look, it's a it's a complicated one because obviously I don the hat of Move One Million this evening. Um, but fortunately, the values of Move One Million also align with my personal views. Look, it is absolutely tragic. Nobody, I mean, nobody should be murdered in the first place. To, to have been murdered in the way that young um, Brendan Horner has been murdered um, shows that there is a, a lack of worth, uh, a loss of worth to human life in general. But, but also the gravitas of how it was done. Now, that said, um, we, we today did not participate in it as so many other groups. And I think what happened today was very visible that it actually turned 
into a bit of a party politicking and showcasing as opposed to what the genuine purpose of it was, was to show support to the family um, in their time of grief and also show support to the farming community. Now, as it happens, today was also World Food Day. So what we decided to do as a movement was that Jared, who is our spokesperson and one of the founders, was actually in Port Elizabeth on the ground in the Eastern Cape, which is an area that's very affected by, by everything that's happening, and working within local communities, looking at things of like subsistence farming, speaking to farmers on the ground. Um, and because at the end of the day, yes, this is, this is a short term, today was something heavy and something um, that was a nice edge at some stages, but God, you couldn't turn anywhere without somebody blowing it in your face. WhatsApp, I don't know about your WhatsApp, but depending who, who was WhatsApping you, it was it was it was quite uh, divided. And is that not so sad where we are as a nation that even as as the tribes of Southern Africa, we just can't we just can't get our messaging together and say, look guys, let's let's look each other in the eyes and say, how do we do this? As opposed to pulling each other from one side to the other. So um so yes, so look, um, the long version cut short, um, it's terrible, um, it, it stands for everything. It is one microcosm of the big problem in South Africa, which is what we are that um, standing for, which is we have to go down to the grassroots level and go and find out um, how we can hold government and the people, and I think we need to start using the word public servants more often, because at the end of the day, when you're a public servant, you are the servant of the people. The politicians are voted by the people, but we need to start holding people accountable and and working with crime um, and for people to understand the judicial system and also the electoral system and how they can highlight all this is, is, is the first step. So it's educational. Yeah, I mean, look, we all know we all know that Julius has daddy issues. That's why he's doing this. You think? We all I think, think. I think he might have a small penis problem as well. But I, who am I to count? That too. That too. <laughs> I mean, whenever. Look, listen. A lot. I know this because a lot of people who have this problem will always do whatever they can to get their attention focused on them. So it probably is the case. But but it's a global phenomenon. I mean, we see it in Ireland, we see it in the States, we see it everywhere. We see this, there's a disillusionment amongst about one third, I think, of the world population with the way that the world has been governed in the last 20, 30 years and people are wanting to shake it up and I think it's giving platforms through social media and, and media having to, having to, you know, make sure that they get heard in a very congested uh, sound sound bites that they need to say what they need to do and he he's i think he's he's just playing it very well yes i mean it, it i think one thing that i found very funny is what happened recently with this whole tresemme thing and uh, oh. you know they, they they went to clicks and they they said oh you know they need to apologize it's racist and then they found out that the the, the actual ceo of clicks is actually black well, look, I think I think we have to go back. I don't know if you know this, but the word holistic or holism actually is a South African word that came from Jan Smuts in 1921, yeah. um, and is the foundation of of what the the free the Charter of the United Nations was written on. Which is we have to look at everything as a whole. I don't think, you know, everything seems to become knee jerk. You have to have an opinion, and you're either right or you're wrong. 
What happened to the good old days when we knew what the foundations were and that we agreed to disagree? You know, um, even on the topic of racism, I, you know, I have dear friends that I, we just don't talk politics and we just don't talk race because I don't, I don't, we don't in, encourage it because it's not the complete worth of who they are. So, so we've had a lot of flack today because we did not go to Senegal and that we were not represented. We've got a lot of our, our followers that are not happy and we've also had some people that's left our, our platform and our group because of it. But we've got to be true to what we believe, which is that we have to start, I want to say, almost from scratch and from the ground and look each other in the eyes and say, look, you know, um, whether we have straight hair, curly hair, whatever, whether we are going to do click bait or clicks, we have to we have to get a common ground before we can move forward. No, absolutely. And the thing is, you're never going to impress everyone. No, God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, don't. Aren't we learning the hard way? Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, um, we can't. It's just, look, it's become such a contentious issue because even in how we've evolved as a, as a movement, you know, obviously in the beginning, you want to align yourself. You want to, you know, we've had to learn how to rework hashtags. Like in the beginning, people said, what do we stand for? And we said, well, you know, if you've got a cause, your cause is our cause. We care and we'll get engaged. And then soon we learned that, that you can't be everything for everybody. So then perceptions were created that, you know, we are an anti-farm murder or we're an anti-gender-based violence or we're anti-specific instances. We are just anti-wrong. We are just anti-crime and anti-corruption and anti-everything that is wrong in South Africa. But at the same time, this movement grew from something that's called I'm Staying, which is all about, let's also remember what's good in South Africa. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a, I've, I've left South Africa for 20 years, but I'm not a, um, I'm not, I don't feel like an exile that I escaped. I just, you know, I just left and for a year to make a bit of quick bucks, landed in Ireland and like the sense of humor. And, and one thing I have to say about Ireland is you learn to laugh a lot yeah. and maybe we should learn to laugh at our differences and giggle a little bit more than, you know, how did, how did the old Afrikaans saying, saying, go steer, do it, man, nicht with the mess. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's the thing about South Africans, you know, whoever I talk to, you know, they will always say South Africans always have this very incredible sense of humor. You know, it doesn't matter how how bad things are. We always still manage to laugh at the end of the day. And I think that's very important, you know, especially when if you do live in a place like South Africa, where there's every day it's something new. Every day is a challenge. So I think you've got to be able to have this kind of mentality uh, with you. Uh, I want to talk to you about, um, since uh, you mentioned it, you mentioned it very briefly, I wanted to talk to you about the history behind the formation of this, uh, this yeah. group, uh, Move One Million. As you said, you know, you did form on from uh, I'm Staying to now Move One Million. So tell me a little bit about this, this movement and how did it come about? What, you know, what made you change it from I'm Staying to, to this Okay, well, well, I'm staying is still very much uh, an entity and, and, and always will be an entity because I think there's a, there's a great space in South Africa for people to be reminded 
that there is a lot of good and that there's a lot of goodwill that people are still genuinely kind. I I, I wear my, I'm staying shirt here in, in Ireland a lot as mm-hmm. part of my uniform and people go, you know, but you didn't stay in South Africa. You've been living here for 20 years. And I go, I'm staying is an attitude. It's yeah. an attitude, a South African attitude that you won't understand. It's exactly. we're kind, we're funny, we're caring, we're empathetic, we're a lovely bunch of people so just get that in your head you know like it they can just you can just get a shirt like mine well i i i would i can read so yes i my sentiments exactly so um so from i'm staying and and actually i'm staying that's why i got involved because um i said to i've said to jared you know if he doesn't like sometimes what i have to say to him um he should have never left me he should have never activated me i was minding my own business quietly in ireland and um, and so I went home in December, I'm staying, and then I obviously, when I saw Move One Million was starting as an, as a, as a, as, as has been said, as, as the part of the I'm staying that evolved into, okay, it's all great that we talk about how the nice things in South Africa, but there's a lot of stuff that's not so nice. So how do we, how do we move that one million people from sitting and saying how nice it is into action? And that's where Move One Million evolved. Um, the founders were, were Joe, um, Juanita van Weyck and Jared, and Jared again. And, um, and this time it's gone and it's got structured. It's a non it's a non profit company. Um, there's we've got a CEO that that comes from a, a more corporate background, um, a steady hand on the tiller. Um, so some people are frustrated that we're not moving too quickly. Um, I don't think we're in this. I'm in this for the next twenty years. Um, I believe hmm. that that it's going to take 20 years for us to 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 fix this. But obviously, people want to see quick change. So the first step for us is the short term, which is our next our next rally and, and awareness campaign, which is on the 24th of October. Um, but the 5th of October, 5th of September was the one where we all we all rallied and we got we got out. That was the one where it, it, everyone rallied around the world, correct? Yes, and a different different degrees because obviously um, the international one is very interesting because um, because every country has its own COVID rules and its own laws. So to negate what we can do and also to get an understanding internationally, like you know, internationally we have to talk to people about we have to compare like for like. So if we want people to understand why our judicial system. Um, or our electoral system does not work in South Africa, we have to understand as international reps how the country where we live in, how our um, electoral system works, so we can go to poli- to the local politicians and say to them, look, you got here because you are allowed to be elected in as an independent in certain structures. That is not something that's afforded to to anybody outside of local elections in South Africa, and that in itself is not is not part of the the rights of the people of South Africa. So we have a different we have a different approach internationally, whereas the people in South Africa on the ground are obviously getting more stuck in in the actual going into the communities every weekend, um, educating, helping people, seeing where, where they can help. And and I think that's why I'm I was very excited to to get involved with Move One Million and and everybody else as well, is we can we actually feel like we're doing something albeit very small baby steps, but we are doing stuff. So do you think that 
protesting is is going to cause uh, awareness uh, around the world because I do I do I do find it does work uh, protesting, but we're, we're talking about a country like South Africa, where protesting, you know, the government's not going to take any notice of what you're doing, and they're certain the government's probably not going to go away if that is the the aim of everyone and the group is by protesting and set, you know, showing the world that, that there needs to be change. So do you think, do you think there is, a, a, there is a, a reason behind the protesting that people are doing it? Um, oh, that's, um, you know, you got to remember <laughs> Betty, South Africa, the, a, a, a government like, like the current ruling party, the ANC are very, very much like, the same as any uh, communist party in Russia or Belarus. I mean, you've seen now in Belarus where everyone's been protesting in the streets. And um, uh, the, the president of, of Belarus, Timoshenko, I think his name was, or Lukashenko, yeah. he hasn't left. And the whole, the whole point of everyone protesting and hugging police officers and kissing them was to show that they had they had, had enough. And he's still in power. And I think this is the this is the problem you're going to have with with South Africa. And you know, you've got my backing. I'm sure you've got a lot of South Africans' backings, whether it's back home in South Africa or abroad. But I, I think that you know, protesting when you're working with a country as sophisticated as South Africa, I think yeah, you, you need to get into the heart of 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 the of the of the current government so they can see. What it is that you're doing? Yeah, I look. I I'm gonna I'm gonna don two hats here. I'm of a certain age, unfortunately. I'm an original uh, 1980s full fray groupie and anti-apartheid activist from a very young age. You mentioned that when we spoke on the phone. Yes. Okay. So it was very easy for us. And I refer, I hate the word protest. I think toy toy has a far nicer rhythm to it. And when you were in 1988, for instance, or I was at 89, I was part of a million people that marched from Soweto to center of Johannesburg. Now, one million people had one chant, one man, one vote. Mm -hmm. It was simple. Okay. It was not, there was no division. There was no tribalism. There was not, there was just what is the right thing to do and what is true equality. So I think the first thing um, that has happened is, and again, it's a global phenomena, is I think that the way the system in South Africa has worked after apartheid uh, got abolished was all of a sudden people became tribal again because all of a sudden everybody needed to have their voice heard more than the other person's. So that unity that came out of one chant now has become what is the loudest chant or what is the most important wrong in South Africa. So the division is then fed through a sensationalist media and so many other things. And God, let us not just talk about it, even though we know this is going to go out on social media and this platform is built on social media. But, oh, my God. Well, the good thing is you're, you're, on this, you're on this platform talking to us and we've, we're, we're, we've given you the platform. We, that's that's it. Uncensored, unfiltered. Yeah, so go but, ahead. But we know, we know. I mean, education needs to go. Like my mother is the person that made me as liberal as I am to this day. My, that same mother and I barely speak to each other because we've become so conflicted because she's retired. And what does she do? She sits on Facebook 24-7 and on the news and she gets the stuff and then it becomes fact. And I think, I think, 
we as a South African and to me move one million is a central message of it's against corruption, it's against crime, and how do we get rid of it? Because first of all, we need to educate how the judicial system works, because we do have one of the most awesome constitutions in the world. And that constitution hasn't changed. Our Bill of Rights is still one of the most liberal in the world. It's just that we have forgotten how to read certain things. We forgot how to have a proper debate and to actually deal in facts um, and say to people, look, it is my right as a citizen of South Africa to demand this of you as, as, as a government. Uh, as a politician, but most importantly, and I'm going back to this again, as a public servant. Mm. We must remember governments come in and out, politicians come and go, but the public servants have a job for life. And that's the same problem across the world. It's the same problem we have here in Ireland, is you can't fire a public servant unless it's gross misconduct. Yeah. And what we have is we've got gross misconduct in our public servants um, and the checks and balances. So, So to me, it's, it's an educational, so we can protest, we can toy toy, we can sing and dance. We have to get a bit more rhythm. Did you ever see that one where, where, where um, Trevor Noah went, you know, us whiteys are not great with, with, with toy toying. Yeah. Uh, um, like today, I mean, most of, the, most of the farmers, what did they do? They had little shops up and put a horse roll stands and they were playing sucky sucky music, you know, where, where as the, the EFF, got organized and they were a united unit and we have to look at ourselves as a people um, and and I'm speaking specifically of my my Afrikaner background we have to look at ourselves as a people and say okay you know I'm I consider myself an African but how am I going to connect with my African roots yeah. and how am I going to as much as how, what am I, do I expect from other people to bring to the table? So protesting, yes. Awareness, yes. But also education. We, we can't just toy toy. And that's why awareness. That's why there's these, these peak occasions that we have, like the 24th of October. But every weekend, there are small groups of people going into every community, every township. And they are spreading the word that, that the people, through education, that people can people can have a voice again and that their voice can have a value, but they have to understand how to use that voice. And I think that is where our biggest challenge lies. Well, exactly. And you, you've just, you've, you've just alluded to it now with, with education. Education is, is key. And I, I find it very sad that our education department is called basic education. <laughs> and it, it, it's, 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 it's really sad because again, you, you, you said we've got one of the best um, law f uh, law systems in in the world, and uh, we also, and I'm sure once we get things sorted, we you know still do and still have some of the best educational systems around the world. So for for it to be called a basic education, it's uh, it's quite sad in the title. It's it's, it's very sad, but I think we need to also remember how incredibly, you see, it's very easy for people now to say people have to go, get over it, right? But I was there, I was in Sabi, and I think sometimes my son refers to me as the oldest teenager in the Northern Hemisphere, and I probably am that, I refuse to grow up. But I can't take away from what I experienced. I mean, in 1978, I was sitting in class when, when a child got removed from a class because her... Uh, 
her appearance would have not been quite as white and some and she was put in a colored community as it was referred to those days that traumatized me for life i can remember my dad was a, a lawyer. I can remember when being very young when I saw a man's genitalia for the first time because the police had picked him up because he had broken the curfew and decided to drive around with him, got a bit drunk and um, beat him up to the point that um, his testicles swel swelled up. I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw that. So I don't think, yes, yes. I don't think for one, but, but those, you see, this is, we, we all, I come from an age where I think, I think so much is not being talked about either. You know, we can't, wrongs are wrongs. As much as the wrongs of today are the wrongs of today, so were the wrongs of the past. Now, we can't go and do tit for tat all the time. Somewhere along the line, we have to draw a line. But I think one thing that I really do miss is, is and I was very attuned to, was, was the Reconciliation Commission. I think where we looked at each other and we actually got to know each other and we said, I'm sorry, you know, um, you know, and other people said, I'm sorry, you know, um, and, you know, it wasn't just white and black. It was also Tosa saying sorry to Zulu and Setswana and tribal. It was it was so much ANC saying sorry to PAC. And, you know, there were so many movements that people seem to have forgotten. It's like we're just in this moment and we don't. And I'm going to go back to that word holistic. It's just we don't have this this big picture view on it to put it in complete and entire context. So basic education is not just maths, it was wrong in the way it was subscribed. There was white education, colored and Asian education, and black education, and we cannot undo that. And we cannot expect in 26 years that somebody who's, whose parents possibly never had an education, and our parents of the same age who had a tertiary education and the greatest universities, all of a sudden within 26 years have to be equal in, in their understanding of the culture that we are trying to shape in South Africa. So yes, we need to we need to talk to each other. We need to get to know each other. Well, that actually that actually it brings me to the to the big to the big question that I want to ask you tonight is what are the challenges associated with you know, building such a inclusive a social movement, you know, especially in a complex society like South Africa. I think, I think talking to each other, I think setting up scenarios where people, I mean, most of the world at the moment is driven through fear and is being divided through fear. So I think if we can create small gatherings or it doesn't always have to be a big protest, if we systematically create small gatherings of, of fearless communication where openly being able to talk to each other and you know taking away misconceptions and getting to know each other and agreeing that we are of different cultures and agreeing that we are different people but that from that point of view we can at least figure out a compromise as to how we live in the same space and how we respect each other and I think respect is the other word fear and respect too much fear and too little respect for our differences and fearing differences and that again media has a lot to play in it um 
you know, we, we have to, it's not just the system. We have to also tackle media and hold them responsible for, but we, we feed the media. We want the drama and the negativity and the, I mean, I actually thought some people were disappointed today when a couple of gunshots weren't fired. And I really did. I, I got the sense of, God, am I the only one feeling this? It was almost like, oh, okay, relief. Okay, um, that's okay then. Oh, well, that's a bit disappointing. I mean, like, what the fuck? Okay, sorry. Um, you can swear, it's like, okay. It's perfectly <laughs> fine. But, but, like, really, I mean, I, I just couldn't believe the the this conflict that, that do we actually self-reflect? Do we, do we, as our level of self-awareness becomes so diluted that we can't look at ourselves as a human being and go, okay, I was actually... You know, I was actually quite tuned into this. You know, we've become, everything has to be fast. We have to be entertained fast. We have to have a reaction fast. Let's let's slow down. And I think this was the biggest challenge with Move One Million is it was it was so, it, it, it happened so quickly that it was a knee-jerking sort of first couple of months, you know, um, how do we do this? And now as it's slowing down, we realized we there's a plan. The short-term plan is till the end of December. The medium-term plan is still the first local elections in September next year. The long-term plan is the national elections in 2024. Um, there's a plan. You know, our marketing plan is strategized until September next year. Our dates are highlighted. I mean, after the 24th of October, the next date is the 16th of December, the Day of Reconciliation which is in the name, it's a public holiday, you know, that is what we'll be doing. Um, you know, we have to uh, facilitate people to be able to whistleblow, to, to, be, to be accountable for their own well-being, but also to hold others accountable and to give them the platform whereby they can do it. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do, but it's exciting. It's, it's exciting to be, to be there. From an international point of view, um, obviously we're not on the ground, but Look, it's it's as simple as this: a ten euro a ten euro uh, bill in 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 Europe can barely buy you a, a McDonald's meal. Yeah. In South Africa, a ten euro bill can feed a family of four for a week. Hmm. You know, um, yes, that is the reality. Wow. Um, so. So I think we we can't just and I and I I don't think people just want charity. I think facilitating, you know, does but do we teach people or do we facilitate that, you know, the purchase of seeds? Speaking of farmers this week, you know, do we help people to do sustainable farming in their yards? If people, you know, everybody's talking land appropriation. Yeah, if people don't know how to farm, how are they going to appropriate land? So why? Why not look at the long term and say, okay, well, you know, God, I hate to be biblical now, but, you know, let's teach somebody how to fish, you know. Uh, sorry. I'm just bringing the wisdom of Solomina to the table. But, but I mean, cliches are cliches because sometimes they're right. Well, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you, made a, you made a very good point with this, with this land, um, land, land grab, if I can call it that. I mean, you, you saw, I mean, we, we all saw, the whole world saw what happened you know, with, with Zimbabwe and how bad it went. Do you think that it will become like that if, you know, the, the government does get their way? Look, there's, 
it's it's again, and I'm just going to say this. I come from the Karoo, okay? About 25 years ago, farmers there are on five to 6,000 hectare farms. A couple of years ago, well, about 20 years ago, yes, there was stock theft, whatever. So a lot of farmers moved into game farming. Game farming means you have less laborers on the farm, you have more tourists, you've got a whole different spectrum. So all of a sudden, you've got less food being produced on that farm, okay? Um, I think the regionalism of where the farm, um, the farm, murders for the lack of a better word i think we have to be conscious of of the provinces the regions where they are where there's access to other people i i again um i think land appropriation and land grab if that's what you want to call it um i don't think the world is quite ready to stand back and let something like that happen again in my, in, this is my personal opinion. That said, every country in the world has similar issues. Um, I had a very interesting conversation with somebody recently. He happens to be a family member of mine. When I, the WhatsApp, I don't know if you saw the WhatsApp message that the farmers were now going to lock up their farms and people, they would only sell directly to the public at the gates and only to white people. And this was a WhatsApp message that made the rounds, That's right? incredibly selfish of them. Uh, it, it, it's very selfish, but also it does not make business sense. Okay, no. so I was chatting to one of my family members who then very kindly said he happens to be a market trader, a national market trader in vegetables. And he said, look, um, they're talking about food shortages. There's already been a food shortage for the last couple of months. We've had a really, there's a huge shortage of water. But now I'm worried about over... Um, I'm worried about oversupply come December because all the seeds have been sold for the last two months and we're not going to have the usual December that we have when people migrate all over South Africa. So then we're going to have an oversupply and it's going to affect my business. And I went, whoa. And then he said something very interesting. He said, a farmer that's just harvested 5,000 hectares of oranges for the export market, he's not going to go, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm not exporting five hectares uh, of oranges and selling it out of little bags outside of my gate. Of course, he's going to export it, you know. So we've got to, again, put things in perspective. Of course, we need the food supply. I think South Africa is one of the last countries in Africa that is really mastered the i mean it supplies most of africa yeah. with food supply so it's not just about south africa it's about africa so we have to look at big things like africa the continent to support the south african endeavors to make sure that it doesn't happen and i think the outside world as well and then god i'm going to say it i mean the chinese can't afford for south africa to go down the tubes either because you know where's their food going to come from not exactly <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying something good about the Chinese, but yes. For once. For once. They, well, they, they deserve a bit of a bit of credit for something. Oh Jesus, you mean after the China virus? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's about time they get some kind of good credit <laughs> on the media. Oh, they're 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 an interesting uh, look. I think again, even when we look at China, you must remember China. China has an 8,000-year-long dynasty or, or legacy or history, and they, they're not in this till the next election. They are here, how do I sustain my people for the next 8,000 years? So they're not in any rush. And I think that's the thing where we have to self-reflect. 
um, why are we rushing? Why this is not going to be a quick fix? No. And everybody just has to take a deep breath and start. But the challenge is the keyboard warriors have to get off their asses, right? And they have to go and meet people and they've got to engage and find out how can they, whether it be through churches, whether it be through community groups, whether it be through dancing, whatever, get to know your local community. It's very simple. Yeah. You know, just just hang out together. Go to a shabin. Best beer in the world is in a shabin. A court, a court of black label where you sit on a crate and you talk shit. Doesn't get better than that. Warm beer has never tasted so good. Well, they well they can't do it now, but in in in, in hopefully in the future they'll be able to do that. Well, I'm I'm sure if they have appropriate social distancing of two meters apart, plus, because there's space in shabins. You don't have to sit on top of each other in a shabin. You've got whole backyards to. In a shabin, you can sit two houses and you just shout at each other, you know, and you just. <laughs> hey, Philemon, 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 another one, Philemon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a, a question. So yeah. your 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 movement is obviously a, it's it's a it's a it's a non profitable organization, and we we now know we now know more a little bit more about what your aim is and what it is that you guys want to do. Uh, what do you think about uh, governments interfering with stuff they shouldn't be interfering in? Like for example, the crickets. I mean, the cricket now is a disaster in regards to. Uh, the ICC is now watching uh, the protests now because the government is interfering with with uh, certain uh, protocols, and the ICC are saying, "Well, uh, if you want to be part of the ICC, there's no political or government interference whatsoever, or else you will be kicked out." So, does your organization also focus on stuff like that? So, obviously, you know, once once you know. Uh, you've 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 achieved your targets and you've made South Africa a better place. Is this also something that you're that uh, you're focused with within govern governance or governments? I I have to say I haven't. I I have to personally say I haven't thought about that. But as you can see by the size of me, I'm not exactly somebody who's going to be running the Comrades Marathon anytime soon. Um. Um. I can I can't speak for the movement on this, but I will speak for myself. Um, and yes, I do believe I do believe that when it comes to sport or anything recreational, entertainment, again, things by the people, where people, it's like women's rights, it's like everything. If I am putting my life and my exercise and my passion and my time into excelling at something, I should be allowed. The platform to show my worth at the highest level of my sport or my whatever. I should not be penalised because of the colour of my skin. No, no. So, so that is my personal view, and I think. But I think that goes for everything, not just sports, scholastics, everything. I think, I think that rewarding people for excelling. This thing that we're all the same, and and this. We see it in Ireland, listen here, and I'm going to bring it here. I mean, no child wins a medal for coming first in Ireland because it's all about the participation. You know, a little bit of healthy rivalry is, is healthy. You know, if you are the best of the best, you know, you should be promoted 
yeah. to be the best of the best. And you should be rewarded for being the best of the best. And I think that should go across every field, not just sport, I think in government. And I think this is this is the thing. Do we have a reward system for for good behavior? And people would just say, oh, no, but, you know, it's expected. You're a public servant. But, you know, when the system is so corrupt and the system is so broken, why not reward the ones that stand out to the highest of their public service sport or cricket or rugby? I mean, you know, last year, um, last year with the World Cup, I mean, that was that was incredible stuff. I mean, you know, all the greatest people from South Africa comes out of the Eastern Cape. You know that, you know, Miss South Africa, you know, Sia Kulisi, Nelson Mandela. Oh, oh, sorry, I'm just warming up. Oh, oh, sorry, um, myself. <laughs> Jared, they, his family's from Cathcart. They've, they've got a hidden secret. <laughs> they've got a hidden secret in the Eastern Cape. And people think the that... East- the Eastern Cape is the birthplace of everything that is great, whether we like to know it's it or not. It's the birthplace of South Africa. That's what it is. <laughs> and everyone says nothing happens in the Eastern Cape. You know, it's ah, just, it's just windy. Yeah, we, we're actually just too good for the Eastern Cape, and then we all want to go spread our love elsewhere, you know. No, but on a serious note, um, no, I think it's absolutely wrong um, that that, and I think it's the same with working. I think that somewhere along the line we are going to have to address BEE and everything else as well, because it's not. We, it's not we working. Can't just, it's no, but it's not just that. So there's so many levels to this. Again, we've established that education was misconstrued in the old apartheid days. Yes, how do we fix it? We can't just go and just eradicate it. There has to be a systematic process. You know what we have in Ireland is we now have every child is entitled to a tertiary education, supposedly free in Ireland. Okay, hmm. and what you actually have in Ireland is such a disillusioned young base of people because they all go to college and then what? Because they've got no life experience. They've not had to work for it. So, so we have to go and revisit things and say. Okay, how do we how do we allow for people skills and academics and you know do we have to face more technical schools how many how many skills where people work with their hands are needed in South Africa um, you know how and 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 I have a personal one million challenge is I mean I would like to go back to South Africa um, and take the skills I learned abroad so how I landed in Ireland ironically was Ireland had in 1999 they had this huge international recruitment campaign where they specified specific skills and they asked people to come back to Ireland because there are 40 million people in the world that have Irish citizenship hmm. but there's only 5 million that live on the island so yes um, so you, you you get when you when you're abroad and you live abroad and I'm sure you've experienced this as well you get different perspectives as you meet and engage with different people. So when you put that all into a into a boiler pot you maybe come up with solutions that when you're too close to it you might not you might not see on the ground. So looking at education saying you know, do we have to look at the German system where at the age of 13 kids go into different sections? Do we have to build more technical schools? Do we have to ask all the electricians that's left South Africa and the doctors and whatever, do we make it so lucrative for them to come back, which is what they did in Ireland? Jesus, they, they threw everything in the kitchen sink. Italy did the same. Um, I don't. A lot of people don't know this, but a lot of Brazilians are in Europe at the moment um, through their Portuguese and Argentinians, through their Portuguese and Italian ancestry and Spanish ancestry, those three countries. 
But after the Second World War, Italy had a lot of people move to Brazil. I think it's Brazil. And what they did is when they realized they needed entry-level skill sets, they reopened Italy and said, look, if you've got ancestry up to two generations back, please come back and help us to, to, to and I'm going to say, to do the shitty bits that Italians have now outgrown, mm. whether we like it or not. Um, but we have to look at systems where there's layers in South Africa that 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 feeds that this top this which has become a global phenomenon this top that is the cream of the crop um, doesn't become a smaller and smaller minority whilst the the masses at the bottom becomes more spread out more disillusioned so so even though we know the middle class the baby boomers are gone how do we rebuild the baby boomers of the future how do we how do we bring that into a, a, a an equitable level where we bring those that are not in the on an equilibrium up, and how do we make those that are above the equilibrium to understand that you have a duty of care to those around you? Yeah. That you're putting your barbed wire around you and your glass houses, and that goes for everybody. Your government, your fancy Mercedes Benz, whatever it is, you know, does not make you immune to to what the problem is. So let me ask you these two questions. So you you spoke about it now with uh, you, you said no you would like to go back with the skills that you've earned and learned in ireland and take those back to south africa do you think that the people uh, the, the people who are members of of this organization have the same feelings and same ideas as you and the second question is do you do you feel or do you think that the the the, the current uh, uh, system in South Africa, and when I say system, as in governance and the way you know they think, do you think that they think you are more of a privileged uh, white group, if that makes sense? And it's only white people in the group. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'll 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 address it. The first one about going back. Oh my God. Um, even in this international group. Even though, okay, so basically the common goal that bonds all the people that's internationally um, part of this movement, and I'm specifically speaking about us as the international uh, section of this movement, um, all of us have one common denominator. We either have family back in South Africa or we are passionate about what we had to leave behind, okay? Um, I, but... Whether we'll go back is is a topic that I've actually taken off any agenda points or meetings or whatever because it becomes immediately, oh, I'll never go back because everybody's left for a reason. There's one thing that people in South Africa must understand. To immigrate is like it's like this it's like the slowest form of grief. It's like it's like dying of Alzheimer's, but your brain is actually healthy, right? You you slowly but surely, the longer you're away, you become less connected. Some people find it very easy to integrate in their local societies and they immediately engrow in, 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 um, engross themselves in their local cultures and off they go within one generation. They're more, you know, some people have in the past called me more Irish than the Irish themselves. You know, I would have even gone over to do tourism for Ireland in, in the States. But what I didn't realize from a mental health point of view is how much I missed my roots. So this has been a journey for me of 20 years of, 
of understanding that what is missing in my life is my people. Okay, but I'm I'm that's my other people say they will never go back again because they you know they've had horrific experiences where there'd be family members assaulted or murdered even in one in one case that I know of. Um, so so it's such a divisive conversation to have with people that have left. Some people feel they have to justify. They've got nothing good to say about South Africa. I ignore them. I, I can't even be in the same room as them because South Africa has been good to all of us. It's facilitated us being able to leave mm -hmm. for whatever, however we've done that. Okay. So, um, no. So we don't talk about it. But the common goal we all have, and that's keeping us so focused, is the big picture. We want the best for South Africa. Whether we want to go back or not, we want the best for our family. We want them to be safe. We want our friends to be happy. And we want it to be a harmonious country. So that's the, that's the, that's the, as far as the governance is concerned. Um, because let me put it this, let me make it into another, okay. another way. You know, any, any time uh, someone wants to do something good in South Africa or outside of South Africa, it's always, oh, well, you have something against us because the government's black or you're white or you're privileged whites. So there's always <sighs> something that government comes up with to make you feel and to make everyone else feel like you're the enemy. Well, <laughs> I think we have to look at ourselves and laugh at ourselves a little bit as well. So I, I, I'm going to share a very funny story that happened in December with me. Okay, Good so, uh, okay, I have mentioned my body, my figure. So I happen to be very, very white, but I am built like a black mama. Okay, I, I cannot buy clothes in Ireland because I've got the ass a size of a shit brick house, a, a, you know, yes, uh, shit house. Okay, so, so. I've started going into shops in Ireland, like very, very funny, thinking, of course, I'm hilarious because I refer to myself as Afro-Irish. You go to Primark. So I go in and I say, excuse me, could you show me where's the black pants, please, right? And people would then go, okay, well, you know, they take me over to black pants. And I'd go, no, 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 you don't understand. It's black pants, not the color. It's like, here I am, six foot tall, you know, white skin, but black booty. And I then point at my rather large derriere. And then, of course, there's a bit of a giggle. And this has become kind of my standard, you know, self-deprecating little giggle so move forward swiftly come december i'm flying into south africa it's sweltering hot it was all of 23 degrees at the airport i died a death of the heat okay and um i was standing in and my pants split okay and then my luggage got lost so wow you you really had bad luck i mean welcome back no, to no, south africa no. <laughs> oh yeah listen yeah the thing is uh, that's another story i thoroughly enjoyed it i had a ball i made it i lived it but anyway so my friend came to fetch me and off we went to Foxini's, and of course you so become so comfortable with what you say so i walk into Foxini's and i'm going hi mama could you tell me where's the black pants please and of course what happens is i'm taken over to the black pants a succession of black trousers everywhere in the Foxini's department and i look at her and without thinking i said no mama you don't understand black pants for the black booty now she looked at me and i looked at her my friend just about cringed next to me and then I realized what I said. And then I looked at it and I said, I'm so sorry, I don't live in South Africa anymore, but this is my way of explaining that my body is built differently to what Irish people. And we ended up having 
the best fun for the next 10, 15 minutes laughing at each other, talking, me telling her how Irish women are built differently to us and how they've got all these perfect legs and how annoying it is. And and it was it was just such a human interaction and conversation without without any of us. So we were first reticent. And I think if we can start, and I go back to this, laughing at each other, hearing each other, listening to each other, um, then the government will have no choice but to ignore the race card, you know, they, they're going to just have to let it go eventually because because if we're bigger than that, then they've got to listen. Well, that's the thing you would you would hope you would hope that is the case. But I, you know, I, I, you know, I just don't think that's ever going to go away. The race card. I think it's, it's there to stay. I, I, I look, I, I, I'm going to call it the cultural card as opposed to the race card. I think I think. You know, I'm going to say something now that there's some nationalities that I've learned over the years that I'm not very partial to. I'm not going to mention them here because that would make me um, very undiplomatic. <coughs> but, um, and they're as white as the snow. Okay, I just don't like them. Are they British? No, 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 I've, I'm not. No, 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 they're not. They're not. No, I'm not going to okay. go into that. But the point is, I think we need to accept that we are not all going to always get on, Right. But it's not, it's not a black and white thing. It's a cultural thing. You know, if I, if I don't like to eat, you know, seafood, I'm not going to eat seafood. But if I'm in a country where seafood is their delicacy, I will at least try it maybe, you know. Um, it's, it's recognizing our differences, accepting each other's differences, and then living next to each other and bypassing each other if it has to be. You know, we don't have to sit on each other's laps either. No. You know, we don't have to all go and sing Kumbaya together. It's just back to let's drop the fear, let's get not to be scared of each other's differences, and let's start respecting each other's space. Problem solved. And then it doesn't matter what color you are. Absolutely. Because then it's, then it's tribal and it's cultural. Then it's cultural differences. You know, somebody likes opera, another person likes hip-hop, you know, and they can both be black. <laughs> you know, very, that would be very interesting to see, but I, I get your point. Well, well, actually, one of the greatest young tenors coming up through the European opera circuit is is from, I think he's from Natal, I think. He's wonderful. Uh, I can't think of his name now, but um, he's actually sung at the Opera House here in Wexford a few times. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how a black kid from some small rural village in South Africa becomes a tenor in Europe, but somebody must have introduced him to opera because it's not exactly something I'm going to hear at the Shabin, is it? Oh, and for tonight, we're going to drink Zamalek and listen to Pavarotti's Nesundorma. Yes, Cambra, you know, like, no. So where does he learn it? I don't know, you know, but it's interesting to think about these things. So let's ask each other the questions. Nothing to lose. Yeah, it's 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 like um, this 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 internet sensation on on the internet. Uh, uh, Tandy, um, she plays the drums and she's uh, the Foo Fighters have featured her on on their account. Coldplay has now featured her. Basically, she's got roots in South Africa. So her mother is Zulu and her father is British, and it's great because she's been taught. She's got the best of both worlds, and you can see it. in, you know, when when she gets interviewed, it's her parents have taught her um, everything there is about. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, your, 
or skin color or anything like that. And it's, I think that's, that's what it all comes down to is, as you say, it all comes down to education. I mean, I remember when I was in, when I started going to primary school and I've, I've always said this to everyone I meet because everyone seems to be fascinated about growing up in South Africa. And I've, I've always said to people that I meet, I, I went to school in possibly one of the best times there was in the late uh, middle to late 90s, 2000s, because, you know, we, we just came out of, you know, apartheid. Mandela mm. became president. It was, you know, every day was a party. <coughs> you blink and you would miss something that happened, something good in the country. And I remember going to school and I, I had a quite an international class. I mean, I had kids from all, from most parts of Africa who I went to school with. Um, somewhere in my class, I had um, people from, from, um, from um, not Dubai, Saudi Arabia. So growing up in school, I, we all didn't see each other differently. We, we just saw each other as just normal people. And it was nev- not once did we ever feel that we were different or it, it whenever it did come up, when we, when we were learning about um, history about South Africa and it did, uh, you know, of course it would come up, we would always lo- we'd look at each other and be like, you know, this is, it, it's a good thing, you know, we're moving onwards from this. And yeah, I, if, even to this day, I, I still feel like everyone is the same. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, we're the same. And I think, you know, it's because of that mentality that Nelson Mandela installed um, is important because he said, you know, you have to start from the bottom. You have to start from the kids. Oh, listen, yeah, there's no, there's no two ways about it. But you see what, 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 our, and I am, I am the biggest Mandela I, I have because mm-hmm. obviously because I was involved in the anti-apartheid movement, I actually was there when he was released and everything. So um, the, the, the biggest thing that I think that I learned from Nelson Mandela is, you know, I read a lot to where people say, oh, he was a terrorist. He, if you go into the history, he never advocated for violence until it got to a point where they could take no more, right? And we have to, and I'm going to go back to Senegal today, you know, we have the saying now, enough is enough. How can we take away somebody else's enough is enough, right? But then to go through 27 years of incarceration and come out the other side, and I don't know if you've ever read The Long Walk to Freedom, but to actually document how your mindset was opened, how you instilled respect, how you operated in 27 years to come to that point where you go, there is no other way but to forgive and to move forward and find a unity, okay? And I think that in itself is, it's almost like we're not allowed to change anymore. It's like you now have to, you have to stay the same, you know, if you... We should be allowed, we should be listening and, and changing along the way. And I think that's maybe where where we where you had it easy in the sense that because I was very ostracized for being a liberal child in the eighties. I had no friends, nobody except from a specific other other equally background liberal friends. Yeah. Uh, but I mostly hung out in the because 
of course, the apartheid law was not written for children. So I was drinking at the age of 16 in the Shabins because nobody could touch me because um, like I wasn't breaking the apartheid law because I was under 18. And, you know, so so they didn't think there was going to be naughty kids. I mean, the Boer, the, the Dutchmen, you know, they made sure that we were all very well behaved in our Calvinist upbringing. We weren't naughty until we left school. Yeah. But, so, um, so I think... That's where I learned. That's where my education came from about equality. You know, I my love, my love was music that I learned to get to know my brothers um, and sisters in in other cultures through Bob Marley, through through uh, Queto, through so many things. So, and I'm sure you found the same. Um, and I think if we as adults can go back and revisit some of those things, and I think that is that is is for us to find platforms of engagement. For us to create platforms of engagement where people get to know, you know, we've, we're kind of going back to the, the same thing, but I don't actually think people have actually gone to the effort of getting to know each other. We're so politically correct that we won't ask somebody, what is it like to have black curly hair? As a, and somebody won't ask me, what is it like to be like a white rat? that you have to dye your eyebrows because otherwise you're transparent, you know? Let's have these conversations. You know, let's touch each other's hair. Let's learn how to plait a raboza when the hair, you know, let's let's celebrate our differences as opposed to constantly finding fault with them and, and, and highlighting them. And I think that's where you were, as you said, in this unique euphoric time in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, but you also the, the age that is most disillusioned because it didn't stay that way. Um, you know, um, and and I feel really, I feel, because you obviously went to a good school as well, so I feel that that there were still expectations that people didn't live on because you were penalized because of the color of your skin again. Yeah. You know, so, so I don't, look, one baby step at a time. Can it be resolved? Vehemently, yes. Okay, um, what are we going to do from the outside? You know, I'm going to use a simple example. We always talk about money and fundraising, and you were mentioning an NPC, but something simple, for instance. Let's say I'm going to use this as an example. Athlone in Cape Town, right, uh, is named after the, the Duke of Athlone, which is a town in Ireland. Imagine if two public servants from the Athlone County Council, right, had to go to Athlone in Cape Town, as an exchange program and work with them for six months and then take two people or three people from the public service from Athlone and put them in Ireland to work in Athlone here. Imagine if we had to share knowledge and and share experiences in such a big field. Imagine what differences we can make one baby step at a time. Because you must remember that most of those people have only seen the corrupt side of governance. Yeah. How can a public servant be held accountable if they have been working in a corrupt system for 20 years? How do we teach them what the right checks and balances are? Well, exactly. So, and that's, that's the question. How can you? Well, we can do it by, by putting a platform together where you say, okay, well, this is what we've arranged. Here is um, Heinz Schwarze and Wilmer Miller, flop, flop. And she's going out to wherever in South Africa and then in exchange, Sipo and Mama Lema is coming over to, I, I don't know. You know, I might sound a little bit idealistic, 
but you know, if I could, if we, if we give up, well, that's if we need you, you, you can't give up. And, and, and oh. I, I, I love, I, this is what's drawn me to, to your organization. And this is actually why I wanted to talk to you was because, you know, one of my, one of my friends I went to school with, you know, grants. Yes. He, he, he lives, he now lives in Dubai and, you know, I saw him with pictures in the protest and obviously there was a protest here in, in Amsterdam in September and, you know, I, I see what you guys are doing and I, I'm intrigued by it and I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, not just South Africans are living abroad, but people, you know, other nationalities because, I mean, you know, you, you, you meet anyone, whether it's Irish, British, American, Dutch, wherever, they are very intrigued in what's going on with South Africa. And sometimes they even know more about South Africa than you do. And they'll ask yeah. you a question and it's like, I, I didn't even know that was happening. Mm. So very quickly, what is your, uh, what, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but what is your, your group's um, future plans? Future plans. So, okay, so the first uh, call to action is on the 24th of October, which is tomorrow week. Mm -hmm. So basically, we're doing a soft campaign for that because we are doing, it's called Paint Your Pain, because with COVID, and I'm going to focus on the South African one, um, it, people go into townships. We've had quite a few successful little awareness campaigns like it. So people get a poster and they can actually write their pain down. It's cathartic in the one sense, but also we become the custodians of that pain and we are putting it in a manifesto and sending it to the president of South Africa. One of the events on the 24th is actually where the the uh, uh, memorandum will be delivered at Constitution Hill to the highest court in the land to remind the people of the Constitution, the, of the Constitutional Right Bill of Rights as to what we as the people of South Africa are entitled to and remind them of their duty. Um, that's the 24th. Then the, the awareness campaigns will carry on. Um, the next one, as I said, the big one is on the 16th of December then, which is the Day of Re Reconciliation. The plans are starting to work around that reconciliation. After that, we're working up towards the... Um, towards the local elections. So local elections are actually direct elections, but we want to see what we can do um, on the ground to help people, independents, to go and stand in their local communities, in their local municipalities, but also understand how to check and balance the public servants. Basic, basic, how to look at balance sheets, profit and losses, you know, a little bit of book work, whatever, and give them people to tap into, whether it be in South Africa or abroad, that they can become the whistleblowers that makes and affects the change. Okay. And how can how can people find you guys? Obviously, you know, you're on social media, but uh, is there a specific group or is there, is there a page for each country that people live in? You mean this is the part where you, you want to know how divided we are when we talk about uh, analytics and algorithms, whether a page or a group is the best, best way forward. Basically, because, it's basically a disguised way of apartheid, yes. Yeah. yeah. Move One Million, um, there's a Move One Million page, mm -hmm. um, which is for the whole organization, but in every country, there is a Move One Million group. So Netherlands has a, there's a Dutch group, there's a, Grant has one in the UAE, mm -hmm. and each of those groups are focused on that country. Because at the end of the day, it's not about reminding South Africans of what they can do. It's about informing other countries what is happening in South Africa and how they can assist yeah. to, to do that. Um, from a personal point of view, from the international community, we are going to be working with the provincial reps in South Africa 
on specific projects. So if a rep comes to us and they say they need us to focus on X project, then we will fundraise for specific projects and we will put our, our euros and our pounds behind it, um, but right into the, you know, to the core of the problem into that project. So that's where you can find us. Um, on Facebook, the website will be live in the next couple of weeks. Um, and if it's okay with you, um, I'll probably send you in those details. It's, it's Rome, you know, I hate the cliche again, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. But so far, for anybody who's listening internationally, get hold of your international rep and just look for Move One Million and the country you're living in. And otherwise, join the main group or just follow the main page. And don't just like it. Follow it so you see what we tell you. Okay, see, this, this it's is, not social media. This is the problem we we have with our with our organization. Don't just like our page. Get in get in, interactive with us. Tell us what you yeah. think, how you feel, what are we doing, what can we do to yeah. improve. And it's the same for for you guys. Uh, tell me very quickly, um, how do you, how can people get one of those T-shirts if they do want to wear okay. one of those? What I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. um, it's open sourced. Okay. So. Um, you can just contact us and we'll send you the the format and you just go to your local printer and you print them. Um, so so mine actually says on the back, I had that put on, it actually says on the back, uh, 5th of September and the date Dublin. And to remind myself, it says change starts here. Okay. Um, yeah. And it, so, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't say at the back, black booty with the arrow going down. No, 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 I'm working on that one. Uh, that's, that's, that's the next one, you know. Check this African booty, baby. I, I, have, I have tried to see if I could get, score myself a lovely new husband, you know, that is willing to maybe pay some labola for coming to visit me in Ireland, but uh, that's still a work in progress, you know. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. You might find, you might find him with the work you're doing. does it? Exactly. <laughs> Betty Marie, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you um, tonight. Um, I've learned so much, and I'm sure people who are going to be watching this video and people who are going to be listening to this podcast have, have learned a lot. And I think, you know, what you guys are doing as regards to an organization and making people, not just South Africans, but internationally more aware about what it is that needs to be done in South Africa and all the, you know, the work that needs to be done and people need to know that, you know, it's not just, as you, as you, as you allude to, Rome wasn't built in a day, but if we work together, if we are patient, if we do things properly, we'll get things done. And I be, I'm a strong believer in, in change. I think South Africa deserves a, yeah. a lot of change and it, it breaks my heart to, to see what is going on. So I think you guys are doing a terrific job letting people know what is going on and um by all means yes uh, do, please do send me the uh, the information and i will um let people I'll, know as well on my i'll show. ask grant very nicely if he'll share it with you i'm sure he will yes it, uh, look it's been great um i appreciate that this is the first time in quite a while um that i've been doing such a thing so uh, it's been great and thank you for allowing my sense of humor no, it's, and it's most, most importantly no matter where we go in the world being South African is an attitude of kindness and care and empathy. And there's not enough of that in the world. And that's who we genuinely are. Well, exactly. And as they say, no one does South Africa better than South Africans. Oh, hell yes. There you go. Betty Marie, everyone, joining us on the line from uh, Dublin in Ireland this evening. And uh, you can catch, uh, you can find out some more about Betty Marie 
on all of her uh, social media accounts. You can go into Facebook and look for uh, Move One Million. I think you guys are going to uh, you guys are going to like what they're doing if you have are listening to the podcast and are watching this this video at the moment. There's there's a there's a lot of change that needs to be done in, in South Africa and uh, what better way to start is start from the ground and work your way up and as Betty Marie said it's going to take time but if we all work together it's going to it's going to we're going to achieve something so I'm very uh, very happy about that and let's see what happens in the next 3 to 4 3 to 4 years I think I think this group's going to do something. It's going to do some wonders in the country. Jerusalem Salema dance and you know 
you know that uh, when the when the president of the country suggests that uh, we should dance, just like the just like the Jerusalem dance, then you know it's a sensation. Speaking of uh, the Jerusalem dance, uh, there's going to be a mini feature film in the works uh, to celebrate this this viral uh, dance challenge. I haven't done it yet. I haven't uh, done this challenge. I can dance the the, 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 the Jerusalem dance, but I haven't filmed myself yet because I think I'll just die of embarrassment. Um, some of the uh, some of the crew members um, who are going to be working on the film uh, have also worked on films like uh, Bloodshot, uh, Black Panther, uh, The Avengers, and uh, Tomb Raider. Uh, the movie is going to be shot over two days with an A-class film crew. And uh, it will see some of the cast and crew members come together in a collective and solidarity uh, uh, shoot uh, uh, to, uh, to, to make this, this film to celebrate the, uh, the Jerusalem dance. So it would be very, uh, very cool to come and see. And uh, do you know that uh, it's also one of the most shazam songs in the world? So there you go. If I mean, if you don't know this song by now, then I don't know. You've just you've you've been on all kinds of you've you've been on all kinds of medication and crack cocaine, and you've probably been drinking um, perfume from the bottle, and I don't know where you've been. But if you don't know this this song, and you need to shazam it, then you need to get your head examined. But that's cool. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we were joined by uh, Betty Marie. Very uh, amazing uh, chat we had. And uh, to find out more, you can go onto their Facebook pages. Uh, Move One Million is where you can find them. And also, if you live in one of the countries, you can also probably find one of their uh, a dedicated page to that country where you live in, so you can go and protest. Well, you can't protest now because of it depends on where you live, obviously with COVID um, COVID uh, laws and rules, but. Uh, Go have a look at uh, Move One Million where you are and perhaps maybe, yeah, go and join one of the protests and go uh, go show everyone just what needs to be done and all the work that needs to be done. And it's, I think it's it's a real cause. It's a real a good cause to, to celebrate. So there you go. Now, uh, listen to this. Uh, uh, Betty Marie was talking to us in, um, in uh, Dublin. And uh, I just found out today that uh, Sinead O'Connor, you know Sinead O'Connor, you know that girl who shaved her head off in the music video, she's that you know because nothing compares to you. Well, she's actually now Islamic, and uh, she's revealed that her paralyzing uh, agro agoraphobia has stopped her from being able to buy food. Because, you know, because nothing compares to that. So, there you go. I did not know she uh, became uh, Islamic. Hmm. Uh, her name, by the way, her Islamic uh, 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 name is Monica Shuhunda Sakat. That's her name. And she's got two Twitter accounts. Obviously, Sinead O'Connor and then this one. Very interesting. There's a lot about the world I didn't know about that I'm learning that I'm now learning about. All right, everybody, this pretty much wraps up uh, the show for this evening. Um, we will put the video up so you guys can uh, go and uh, watch the video with uh, 
with that I did with Betty Marie. I think you're going to like it just as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Oh, by the way, before I, uh, before I wrap things up, do you know China, the, the Chinese president has uh, apparently uh, he's, uh, he, he's been coughing during a, a, a speech and it's been prompting a speculation on his health. As uh, interesting, because I watched this uh, video. It's interesting because the state media, they cut away each time he was forced to speak, uh, to step away from the, from the mic and cough. I think I might have a video, actually. Where is the video? Let me play it for you guys. I'll translate it for you. Oi. Basically, he, he says, yes, we, we, did, we did give the word coronavirus and... Uh, no, we are not going to apologize for that. <laughs> and then the camera comes back and says, well, you know, if we have to have corona, so does everyone else. <laughs> so very interesting, very interesting to, to see. And we all know that uh, Chinese uh, state media are, para- are paranoid at most of times, best of times. They're a crazy bunch of people. Anyway, I'm out of here. I uh, will see you guys on Monday. I'm going to go and uh, drink now and celebrate our first uh, week of launching. So uh, I'll be back on Monday, same time at 8 o'clock in the evening. We're going to be talking with um, Shantae, Marius's uh, daughter. And she, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about... Uh, what it's like to be in college and what it's like to be in, 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 you know, in a pandemic now. Yes, Marius. Yeah, and we have uh, Nicole Lewis also joining Shantae on Monday evening. So what will be quite an interesting discussion. Mm, you've got, you know, you've got one of those, those, those real 1960s radio announcer voices. Oh, okay. Maybe I should have stopped uh, with my camels. Maybe you should have. It's going to be a very interesting interview, just like all the, all the people we have uh, been speaking with. So uh, make sure you guys have a good weekend. Make sure you guys buy your alcohol before 8 o'clock because obviously you can't do that now. It has to be before 8 o'clock. And uh, keep warm, wrap up warm. It's going to be freezing cold outside. And uh, we'll chat again on Monday.